Good evening. So tonight's first scripture reading is from John chapter 19, uh, verses 19 to 27. I'll give you a moment to turn in your Bibles if you'd like. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but rather, this man said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see who it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his home. Thank you, Dave. You can have a seat. Well, good evening. Well, it's Good Friday. And you may have wondered, like many do, on this Friday every year, why do they call it good? And it's because it's the night that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. It's a big part of the gospel, the good news that God saves sinners through the life, through the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. The night that Jesus died is the best Friday, because that's the night it happened. Tonight is just merely a good Friday, as we reflect on the best Friday. And so this, mor this evening, not this morning, we jump forward in the text of John to John chapter 19, as Dave just read for us. This evening, as well as Easter Sunday morning, we will focus on the witnesses to the death of Jesus and the witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. With the witnesses that we have in John chapter 19 and John chapter 20, my hope is that you will believe more that these events truly did take place. And because they did, it changes everything. So will you pray with me? Father, thank you for sending your Son to die in our place on the cross for our sins. Thank you for these words that the Apostle John wrote down to encourage us, to exhort us, to show us what is true. And so God, would you speak through my mouth to your people? You'd help us to believe even more. 
and receive the life that comes through the name of Jesus this evening. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you recall a few months back when we started our series in the Gospel of John, one of the first witnesses that we saw in the Gospel was John the Baptist. In chapter, chapter 1, he confessed that he was not the Christ. He confessed that Jesus was to arrive on the scene. And when Jesus does arrive on the scene in John chapter 1, verse 29, John proclaims this. He says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And tonight we will see how he finally pays for the sins of the world on the cross. If you go back up to verse 16... Before, G John, er, before Dave read, it says, they delivered him over to be crucified, and so they took Jesus. We might need a reminder of who truly is in charge here. And while Jesus was delivered over to be crucified, it was God who was completely and sovereignly in control of all things that take place here. This Word made flesh, this Son of Man, this God-Man went to the cross, not because just some guards took Him to the cross and led Him there, but it was according to the plan of the Father. Where he bore his own cross, we see in verse 17, he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. That's where you get the word Calvary from. It's the cranium of the head in the Latin uh, where you see the place of the skull. He bore his own cross, this heavy horizontal bar, a condemned prisoner. On his back, he was carrying it up this hill to where he would be crucified. And in Matthew's gospel, the weight of the cross was so much for him that a man, Simon of Cyrene, was asked to carry it for him. My kids got to experience some of that as we moved a bunch of cedar posts this week of how heavy big logs can be. But like a criminal, they crucified Jesus in verse 18. And crucifixion was brutal. They let the person down on this beam, laying him on the ground. They stretched out his arms. They nailed his arms to the tree. And then they raised this beam up, falling into a hole. And when he falls into a hole, the breath comes out of his lungs and you can't breathe. You've probably heard the word excruciating before and it literally means from the cross. Crucifixion was a horrible way to die and often you just suffocated by not being able to breathe. Sometimes they would have some compassion. They would put a little seat on the cross so that you could raise yourself up to take a breath to prolong the agony of the impending death while alleviating some of the pain to take that breath. And the Romans, they loved this type of torture. And Pilate, he made this inscription and placed it over Jesus, and it said, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And John, the Gospel writer, he writes this down as a, as a form of irony in some sense because the reason for Jesus' death that he received is his official title. 
or at notice. This is who he is because it truly was who he is. He is the king of not just the Jews, but he is the king of everything, the entire world. And the Jews and the priests, they didn't like this title because he wasn't their king. They did not believe this. And it was a sign for all around them to see, to embarrass Jesus, to shame him. But it was true and right and proper. It was a proper proclamation, even though he would eventually die on that cross. And as Jesus perished, his clothes were distributed amongst the executioners, which was custom for those who were participating in the executions, that they would take the clothes of those whom they were crucifying. But this was also to fulfill scripture as John quoted Psalm 28, verse 18. And so back to our theme uh, for this evening. We've seen a few witnesses already to this crucifixion. Pilate, the Jews, the executioners, the tree priests. These folks were not Jesus's friends. They had no reason to, pro to propagate the message that was going to come to this miracle that was going to come about as a work of God. And imagine the shame and the anger, the humiliation that they probably felt crucifying the Lord of glory the next three days later when he rose from the dead. Friends, you can believe Jesus did die this way because these folks, as John wrote, <clears throat> were there. If Jesus didn't die this way, they would have been able to come and refute what took place. These were the bad guys. These were not Jesus' friends. And they could have said, well, that did not take place. I wasn't there. A few years ago, actually, I think a couple decades ago now, when Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ came out, there was a lot of critique that came out with that movie, uh, that it was too anti-Semitic. He put the Jews in a poor light. But as we see in the text, it was the Jews who were there wanting Jesus to be crucified. It has nothing to do with being anti-Semitic. John was writing down what actually took place. He was writing an orderly account, like Luke would say, of what took place. And so, friends, you can believe that Jesus did die as the Lamb of God on that cross. Because even Jesus' enemies who participated couldn't and didn't refute it. And imagine all these passerbys, they see this sign, behold, the king of the Jews, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. As they read it, they probably were thinking, huh, that's interesting. And they kept on their way. Remember, many millions, maybe a million people were in Jerusalem for the Passover feast. So many people would have saw this sign and this whole event take place. But they probably didn't think anything of it, like many of you probably saw over the last couple weeks. Maybe you saw three, 399 gas. But you didn't need gas that day. And so you didn't stop and get it. But then a couple days later, when you did need gas, you were like, where was that station again? And as the message of Jesus goes forward throughout the Mediterranean world, a few years later, some of the passerbys, when the message of the gospel reached their town, probably recalled, huh, I remember when that guy was crucified. But if it didn't play, take place, they could have said, well, I was there, and that didn't happen, and so this message is false. But no, the message kept moving forward throughout the known world at the time. 
And on top of the enemies of Jesus, you can believe that Jesus died as the Lamb of God because those whom Jesus loved witness it as well. You have three Marys who are there. You also have John, the gospel writer, who was there. The, 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 sorry, the disciple that Jesus loved in verse 26. The ones who crucified Jesus had embarrassment after the resurrection. After the resurrection, those who loved Jesus and believed had everything to lose by allowing this message to go forward. Because in the years ahead, as the gospel accounts moved forward and were written, if you were included with the disciples, your life was in jeopardy. And so if this didn't happen, they would say, well, no, 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 I wasn't there. But they didn't. John took account of their presence at the crucifixion because it was the right thing to do and true. And even if it meant that their life would be at jeopardy, maybe perish as Jesus perished at the hands of the Romans, it was worth it because Jesus died as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. You don't go to an executioner yourself for a myth, but you do go if it truly happened and you truly believe. And that's why John wrote these things down. And so many witnessed this crucifixion of Jesus. They knew where he died. They knew how he died. They knew who else was around it. Dozens of people called out by name, some in shame and some with fear of death themselves, allowed John and the other gospel writers to take account of these things because Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus was shamefully tortured but he was shamefully tortured for your sins and for mine because he was without sin. He did so in order that you and I wouldn't need to be ashamed any longer of our sin. If you recall from our study in Genesis a couple years ago now, I can say, when Adam and Eve sinned, they hid. They were in the garden. They were hiding from God because they were ashamed. But God calls them to himself. He covers their shame because he loves them. And so too in the shame of our sins or the sins that have been committed against us. God loves us so much that at great cost to his son, he wanted us not to have shame, but forgiveness. And that's love. And I need that today. It's been a tough day. It's been a tough week. And I think I could probably venture to guess that you probably need a reminder of that too. And so let's move on from the witnesses to the death of Jesus. And I'll invite Dave up to read our next section of scripture. If you want to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 19, verses 28 through 37. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. 
So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that all may also believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled, not one of his bones be broken, and again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. So we've seen witnesses to the crucifixion, and now we've seen witnesses to the death of Jesus. You can trust your Bibles. John makes it clear for us, and he wants us to understand that every part of Jesus' death was part of the Father's plan for redemption. It was also a consequence of the Son's obedience to the Father and His plan, even to the point of fulfilling Scripture to the point where He says, I thirst. Roman crosses were not very high, so it would have been easy for someone to give Him a drink. And when Jesus finishes His drink of sour wine, He proclaims, it is finished. And as we've gone through the first six chapters of the Gospel of John, we've seen that Jesus has fulfilled all sorts of prophecy. We've seen that Jesus fulfills all sorts of festivals. We've seen Jesus fulfill all sorts of roles of significant folks who have come before him, like Moses as the great prophet, David as the great king, because Jesus is the greatest prophet and the king of kings. And in saying he is, it is finished, Jesus had finished the work he came to do here on earth, to fulfill all scripture, but also to die in our place on the cross for our sins. And at this moment here on the cross, the entire work of redemption had been brought to its fulfillment and completion, and our sins, friends, were paid in full. And as we've seen over and over in the Gospel of John, every story in John is not just that Jesus would eventually end up on the cross and be killed, but he died in accordance with the scripture, with God's appointed hour. We have finally got to the point where his hour has finally come. And the scriptures bear witness to the work of Jesus as well. God promised and God keeps his promise. When God says he will save us from our sins, he will save us from our sins. To do so, the God-man, Jesus, he had to die. At God, as God, he could cover an infinite amount of sins. All the sins that we've committed in this room and all the people who would believe in him in the history of the world, he can cover the multitude of that. But as man, he is the proper substitute for you and for me, for those who would believe in him. And in verse 30, Jesus died. We see the Roman soldiers continue their work, again, still witnessing the death of Jesus. Because it was Friday, the day of preparation, the Sabbath was coming. The most important Sabbath in the Jewish calendar was coming as the Passover. And so the Jews wanted to make sure that everything was completed. If the prisoners cannot lift themselves up, remember how I described it, to take breaths, they would die quicker. And so their solution was, we'll break their legs. 
And the Jews, they had things to do, and time is of the essence. And the Romans, they oftentimes would leave men and women who would be crucified on a cross for days. The Jews cared about the law of Moses, though, as good Jews, because in Deuteronomy chapter 21, it says that you're not supposed to leave someone up for more than a day if they've been hung on a tree. But in verse 33, we see that Jesus is already dead. The Jews didn't even know it. Jesus died silently. The soldiers, they pierced his side for extra precaution and water and blood came out, signifying they either pierced his heart or his chest cavity. But by recording this, John is showing Jesus' true death. His death as a man is a true death beyond a shadow of a doubt. And again, we've seen antagonists who bear witness to Jesus' death. They know he truly died. The Jews, Pilate, the soldiers who all participated in making sure that he was dead. And when God's enemies cannot deny what took place, it's probably a good sign that it happened. And in Numbers chapter 9, when Moses recounts the way in which the Passover lamb was supposed to be slaughtered, the lambs of the bones, or the bones of the lamb, were not to be broken. And a further emphasis to the fact that Jesus is the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world as none of His bones were broken. And Jesus is the true Passover Lamb. And Zechariah is that other prophecy that says that His side would be pierced. Again, in that passage, marking that His bones would not be broken. And so friends, all of these things take place in accordance with the Scriptures. We saw last week that Isaiah was quoted, that the grass withers and the flower fades and the Word of God lasts forever. Where every prophecy will come true if it already hasn't come true. And we've seen many fulfilled in the Scriptures this evening. We've seen the antagonists who bear witness. We've seen the Gospel writer himself bear witness when you can be assured that these things took place. That Jesus died as a man. Jesus died. He died alone. John was there, but the text says that no one else was there. Not only does Jesus bear our shame, but he does so alone. Psalm 22 is prophesied about this in Matthew and Mark and the account of this. And Psalm 22 verse 1 is what Jesus shouts from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we know the answer. God forsook Jesus so that he did not forsake us. God remained silent so that he would not be silent with us. His beloved son died so that he would look upon us as sons and daughters as he did upon Jesus and this baptism. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased so that we could be part of God's family. There were witnesses to the crucifixion. There were witnesses to the death of Jesus. And I'll have Phil come up and read our final section this evening. There's witnesses to the burial of Jesus. Verse 38 to 42. After these things... Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he may take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. 
So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in the new clothes with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Thank you, Phil. So we witnessed the crucifixion, we've witnessed the death, and now we witness the burial of Jesus. And our first witness in this section is Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph is actually mentioned in all four of the Gospels, so you can be assured that he actually was there and participated in this burial. Pilate accepted his request, which shows that Pilate believed that Jesus was not really guilty. And it was his final snub against the Jews, whom he didn't like. Joseph, he was a rich man. He had his own tomb. He went in secret for fear, though. And there was record of Pilate giving him permission. Joseph was probably a disciple, not one of the twelve, but one who would follow Jesus, who would listen to him, who would want to believe in him. And Joseph, as a rich man, he had much to lose by asking to bury, bury the body of Jesus. It was not something one, it was not something one does in secret. And in verse 39, we get another witness who we've seen before, Nicodemus. And in chapter 3, as a Pharisee, Nicodemus, for fear of the other Pharisees, he came to Jesus by night. But now, he's out in the open. He's stepping out of the darkness and emerging to the light. Nicodemus now is a true disciple and follows Jesus. To him, it doesn't matter what happens anymore. And these two men took Jesus and closed Jesus up in a new tomb. And they knew the tomb, they knew its location, and it was probably owned by Joseph, as I said. And in verse 19, or chapter 19, did you notice how abruptly it ends? I'll read it again, verse 42. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Period. It ends in silence. Where we have witnesses to the burial in Pilate, Joseph and Nicodemus. If it didn't happen like the rest of the things we've looked at tonight, they could have refuted it. My goal this evening was to show you that you can trust the events that took place, that they actually happened. And in saying it is finished, he'd finished the work that he came here to do, to die in our place on the cross for our sins, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world where Jesus died in shame so that we didn't need to be ashamed any longer. Jesus died alone so that we wouldn't be alone any longer, but part of God's family. And Jesus transformed men to no longer fear man, but to fear God. John wrote this some years later in his first letter. John, 1 John 4, verse 18. He says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And so Jesus took our shame. He took our loneliness. But he also took our fear by taking the punishment for our sin that causes our shame and our loneliness and our fear. The perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
And as we close in song, I want you to reflect on our time in God's Word this evening where you can trust your Bibles. You can trust Jesus' payment for your sins. You can trust the witnesses that at great risk to their own lives wrote these things down for you and for me 2,000 years later. John wrote all this down so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. And if you're not a Christian, I'd ask you to consider the evidence and the witnesses that we've heard from the Jews, the Romans, the disciples, but also God's Word. One must make a decision to believe and receive eternal life through Jesus' death. The Gospel is the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, where only God can save us, and He has in Jesus. But Christian, Good Friday isn't just one day a year. As a Christian, every day is Good Friday because you can worship God who sent His Son to die in your place on the cross for your sins, including the sins that you committed today, the sins that you'll commit tomorrow, and every day that you'll have life on this earth. And it's a humbling experience, but it's also a worshipful experience. And since this truly happened, we should live our lives in light of this truth, in humility, in thankfulness, in worship. And Sunday, we'll see the resurrection witnesses. We'll celebrate. I hope and pray you'll join us on that day as we celebrate the newness of life that Jesus provides through the, His resurrection from the dead on Easter Sunday. So will you pray with me as we invite the music team back up? Father, thank you that your word is true, that it contains the words of eternal life, that we can believe that your son came, your son lived a perfect life without sin, your son died a sinner's death, a death that we deserved, although he was innocent. And God, we have no other response to you but th of thanks in gratitude because you did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And so God, as we lift up our voice to sing of who you are and what you've done, would you be glorified in the rest of our evening? God, as chapter 19 ends quietly and abruptly, we look forward as to Sunday when your son comes forth from the grave who rises from the dead to give us a newness of life. And so God, we thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and sing with us?